Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. This is the first episode in 2021 of the Life as Leadership podcast. So despite the fact that we're already a few days into 2021, let me say Happy New Year to you. I hope you're excited about the opportunities that this year has in store. Speaking of which, if you're on the email list, you've already gotten this. But one thing that I'm looking forward to doing this year is sharing with you one item from the leadership action list every single week. So in just a second, you're going to hear a little bit more about the leadership action list. But if you want to get a leadership insight delivered to your inbox every single Monday morning to start the week off focused on how you can become a better leader, be sure to download the leadership action list at leadershipactionlist.com. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, here's a little bit more about the leadership action list before we get to today's interview. It's great when you have time to listen to podcasts, but sometimes you just need to get straight to the facts. And that's why we've put together the Leadership Action List. It's a year's worth of weekly action steps to improve your leadership. If you want to be a noticeably different leader in one year, this simple but effective resource is for you. Download this list for free at leadershipactionlist.com. Once again, for an entire year of weekly leadership development, go to leadershipactionlist.com. Our guest today is considered the thought leader and expert for entrepreneurial management. She's poured her life's work into learning about then teaching how to lead a team. In a space where there's a lot of noise and advice, she has designed the how-to of team leadership through her five-step management system. She knows without a doubt there's no challenge you're facing as a leader that she can't help you solve. Here is Chris Plackey. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? Yes, let's do it. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? I for sure would say when I was a young, new kind of person working, I had a pretty challenging couple of bosses. And so those were just as informative and shaping for me as the great bosses that I had because I really learned what was ineffective and it's, it has stuck with me ever since then. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? Self-aware, transparent, and authentic. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? One of the most powerful questions a leader can ask is how is my bias influencing how I lead. What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? Right off the top, I would say What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? The five steps I'm going to talk to you about. Would you mind running through those real quick? Absolutely. You need to have a compelling reason or vision for doing what you do. You need to know what your leadership 
operating system is, which is your values and your expectations. You need to clarify those. You need to have, make sure that you and everyone in your team has a clear role and responsibilities. And you need to make sure that there are measures to track everyone's contribution and that you follow through and provide feedback. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Why? Why do you say that? I have always asked why. My husband used to tease me. He was going to get me a t-shirt that said Mimas on it. May I make a suggestion? I always probe. I always ask why. Why is that? Why is that? Why do you think that is? And I have to ask as a follow-up, why do you think you've always asked that? Is there something from your life that's made you so inquisitive or is that just something that you can't necessarily point to how it developed, but it's always been there? No, I think for sure the connection for me is that my mom always connected things. She would always say like, like everything from like, oh, look at how you can see that daughter and mother walking down the street and they look alike. It's because they are related or, oh, it's because of this. There was always like a reason why things happened. She would always look for it, frankly. And I think I just learned it innately. And so when I don't know why things are the way they are, I I don't necessarily understand them as well. And I'm not ever as likely to buy in until I know why. Well, Chris, we're here today to talk about your five-step management system, and we'll get into that in just a second. You've already teased it a little bit, but first what I want to ask you is this. You say that you are an expert for entrepreneurial management. How would you differentiate entrepreneurial management versus other types of management? Okay, such a great question that I could talk for four hours about, but we'll make it simple. I started my career in a startup culture. So even though I wasn't an entrepreneur, I worked in a culture that was very led by a visionary and was in that beginning phase. So what I quickly learned is that everything moves very quickly. You have to move fast. You have to make change. You have to be willing to change. There's very little support systems, processes, resources. It's just everybody making it work, right? As the business I worked for grew and became less of a startup and more of a, you know, very successful publicly traded business, we brought in quote unquote corporate people, experts, right? To start taking over some of these higher level leadership roles and everything slowed down. It became project teams and we should have meetings to talk about that. And so what I watched and now what I see, because i For the first half of my business time, I coached corporate clients. And then I started getting more and more entrepreneurs and just really went all all in on them. But decision-making, influence, authority is so different when you lead within a company versus when you are the entrepreneur. That's why I love entrepreneurs. They can make decisions right now. They can decide they want to spend money. They want to cut off part of their business. They want to hire someone, fire someone. So they can move a lot faster, which means they have to surround themselves with people who understand that and can work like that. But there's also discipline that has to come for entrepreneurs because you can do pretty much anything you want in your business. 
Yeah, so one of the things that I'm wondering is that when do you begin to realize when it's time to begin changing pace, kind of when you're moving from that startup culture to an establishment culture? Because it sounds like your company may have moved a little too fast or maybe it was an appropriate speed, but it just surprised everyone. I like how you defined that. This transition to the establishment culture, it also lost its soul through the process. So the leaders that came in had a very different connection to the work and so many of the people that have been there for years. So it was just a huge, massive change that wasn't managed well, to be frank. I do have clients, you know, I, I'm i always reluctant to say, to give it a revenue number, but I could tell you for sure, once businesses, small businesses start to cross over into that 10 $15 million mark, that's when we start to see that we have a functioning CEO, well, ideally, somebody who's sitting in that high, in that CEO role, not just operating as the owner, business founder, but really the CEO, and starting to cultivate that C-suite of leaders. They may not all be called C-level, but they're, you know, sort of that first team for the CEO to then start relying on, that's when we start really relying on decision-making systems, processes, and practices that create sustainable, repeatable performance and behaviors from the business. So I want to go ahead and transition to your five-step management system. Would you say, just to kind of kick this conversation off, would you say that this is particularly for those entrepreneurial managers, or is this something that could be used across the board? It's across the board. Could you run through those five steps? People may need a refresher from those intro questions at the beginning of the interview. So when you're an entrepreneur, the first thing you have to know is why you do what you do. Why does your business exist and what is the vision of your business? What is it here to do on the planet? The reason that matters when it comes to team is it helps you move through a hiring process to ensure that you're bringing people into a business that have this have a similar interest goal because in a small business we're not just hiring people for jobs we are usually hiring people to be a part of our goal our vision which i think is very different than in a large business now when you're a manager in a business or if you're a vice president or you know a coo but you're in a larger business you still have to have a vision for your division your department and your team Again, that's what gives the team a compelling reason for the work that it does. So that's step one in this five step. Step two is your leadership operating system, which is your values and your expectations. The thing about values and expectations is we all have them. They exist. They are not non-existent. The difference is though, through the work I like to teach my clients is you have to be able to communicate them. First of all, you have to know what they are for yourself. Then you have to be able to communicate them. And then you have to be able to make them mean something in your business. And I teach my clients to lead their teams with behavior expectations that are value-based so that when, because, you know, part of performance is productivity, but the other part of performance is how people show up every day. But we tend to not really have any guidelines for behavior other than what we think is common sense. But if you've managed people for any hot minute, (laughs) you know that your common sense is not always the same common sense as other people. 
So you knowing what your values are helps you hire and fire, right? We get down to those core three values that really are the kind of people you want to have in your business, the kind of people you want to work with every day, the kind of people who will help you get your work done. And the expectations translate into those day-to-day behaviors that when they're fine are not a problem. But the majority of performance issues that I coach my clients on are behavior related. It's negativity. It's, you know, lack of innovation. It's people who aren't on board. It's people who are apathetic. It's gossiping. You know, it's that kind of stuff versus they're not hitting their numbers, quote unquote. That's a lot easier to manage. The third step is role clarity. And this is a big one for entrepreneurs. A lot of entrepreneurs will start as a solopreneur, it's just them with a shingle, and then they start needing help. So they get help, but they don't really qualify that. And sometimes they can end up with people in their business for two, three, four years, but those folks don't really have clear jobs, you know, role descriptions. And within that role description, we want to make sure that we're, that role description sets the table for measures. In a traditional business, in a larger business, job descriptions are often very common, but they're not used. (laughs) It's like they're written and then they're stored somewhere, but they're not actually referenced to help, again, set the table for how someone can be successful, which really lends us to the fourth phase, fourth step, which is building measures. How do I know if a role that I have in my business is contributing to the success of my business. Because if we boil it all down, the only reason we ever hire anyone is to deliver a result. If I can't have that correlation clearly defined in my business, then I always ask my clients, why are you paying 60, 80, 100K a year for that role in your business if you cannot connect it back to the business performance? And the last piece is the follow-up and the feedback. As leaders, we have to learn how to have conversations that are difficult, how to be courageous, how to be more intimate in our feedback so that people respond, how to tell people things that are hard to hear, but you still have to do it. And that's a skill that most leaders across the board, entrepreneurs and within large businesses, CEOs of multi-million dollar businesses, that's a skill that a lot of people lack. So as a real quick review, listeners, the first step is vision, next is values and expectations, and then role clarity. The fourth step is measures, and the final one is follow-up and feedback. So my guess is that one of those has struck a chord with you. But Chris, one thing I would like to hear from you is what do you see as, as far as trends go, what tends to be the area where most entrepreneurial managers get stuck or maybe other managers that you work with as well? So I would say if there was one sort of thing that drives people to me, it's lack of accountability on the team. It's some sort of poor performance or, you know, average performance and and not knowing what to do about it. And so this five steps for me is always my diagnostic tool. Also, like when there's a gap on the team or somebody on the team, I always go first to here. But the one that is always the one that, frankly, if you were going to do nothing that I just listed except one, it would be expectations. We often, as just as humans, make a lot of assumptions about what other people think is the right thing to do. And as a result, I'm holding you accountable to something that I think is just common sense or normal, 
but you have a very different life experience and it doesn't even occur to you that that's the way I would expect, something I would expect of you. So level setting that and having a really meaningful discussion at the team level and then using those expectations in conversations, right? Like, hey, thank you so much for this. It was a great example of being a problem solver, which is one of our expectations. And posting them, you know, review, using them in performance reviews, integrating those expectations into the way that you address performance and talk to people about their results. That's how we can start level setting some gaps in accountability. So one of the things that a number of people have talked about on this podcast is that often leaders will postpone making certain moves, particularly related to personnel and letting personnel go. They postpone those as long as possible, and that's not really good for anyone. One of the things that I understand that you're able to do is explain to us how, if it comes to it, you're able to fire anyone. And so it's not a topic that is super comfortable to talk about. It is a topic that people in the past have said, why haven't you talked about this on the podcast yet? And the truth is there just aren't a whole lot of people out there talking about it. But any type of of input or insight from you could be super valuable here because it's not going to be comfortable for anyone, but sometimes it's just necessary. I mean, I've been at this for 25 years. I do not love when I have to tell someone this is your last day. There's nothing about that that makes me skip to work, right? However, it's a part of owning a business or being a leader. It's part of it. Like it's not something, it's negotiable. (laughs) It kind of comes with the gig. So the reason I believe you can fire everyone is I have a personal mantra, which is that performance is not an opinion. And if you do the legwork, and so for example, a lot of times, as I said, people will hire me because they have some sort of issue on the team. So the first thing we always do is we go back and we make sure the vision is clear. We make sure we have values and expectations and that those are clear. We make sure this particular person has a clear job description and ways to measure their success. And then what we do is something that I call the reoffer. And we go to this employee and we say, you know what? I don't know that I've been clear and I want to make sure that I am really, really clear about what's expected. So we go through everything I just listed and we get their buy-in or not, frankly. More times than not, they'll say, no, that sounds great because most people want to keep their job, right? But then we start to go down the road of them not meeting those expectations. They don't deliver. They miss deadlines, whatever it might be. So once I've now built a framework for expectations in terms of their performance, now it's just follow-up. And what I like to invite clients to think about is once you've done that part of the work, now instead of you imagining yourself sort of figuratively across the desk from them saying, you didn't do your job, I want you to think about more like, no, you're sitting next to them and you're both looking at everything you've reviewed together and the commitments that you've collectively made and you're both saying, oh no, (laughs) it's not working. (laughs) Something's not right, right? Versus it being a personal dialogue, which is I think where people really get stuck. And so then when we do the conversation, when we have to let someone go, we just focus on the facts. Here's the issue. Here are the things that have happened or not happened that we needed to have happen. And here's the impact of those things happening or not happening. And so as a result, if we're all ready to, you know, I kind of 
encourage people to have a, a couple of those conversations. But if we get to the termination or the end of the, the road with someone, we just say like today's you're, you're a good human. This isn't gonna, this isn't working out, but it's better for other people. I think we get so caught up in our own discomfort of letting people go. I think that that belief that somehow there isn't something better for that employee or what have you is not useful. Someone who's not doing well in their job and knows it and experiences that every day, they're also not happy, right? Like I think we can be much kinder and the sooner you get a culture of accountability using those five steps in your company, the cleaner this gets for everybody. Everybody knows we're here to do our job. And if we don't do our job, it's cool, but it's not our, it's not for us then. That's all right. Well, Chris, I appreciate you speaking into that. I'm sure a lot of other leaders are appreciative of that as well. Now, one of the things I'd like to kind of switch toward is this is tough stuff. What can leaders do to begin finding the joy and and excitement and love for their business despite or maybe after or through some of these more difficult situations? You know, it's funny because I, you know, I've been doing this again, like I said, for a long time. And there are some days I just think, yeah, I, I don't want to do it. <laughs> out. But I think about leadership. I've always had more of a coaching perspective when it comes to being a leader, a mentorship, growth, almost like an incubator concept for other people. And so for me, the joy is always in the relationships and in the growth of people that I work with. Does that sometimes get challenged? Of course. But is that a reason for me to stop? No. Is it fair to tell yourself as a leader, especially you're, you're not just a, someone who has to produce results through other people, but you also are in what, what I call the energy exchange business all day, right? And you have to take care of yourself. You have to be just as good of a leader for you as you are for others to really stay in this game. But I find the win so much more meaningful than those occasional challenges and it's one of the things I, I say a lot to my clients that really arriving at that CEO level, because I've really watched now my clients go through that solopreneur when it's just you, then you go to entrepreneur when you assemble the team and you start building some practices and you start making your business not just about you anymore, to really getting to that CEO level where now you're at that strategic level and you've got this great group of people who are thinking on behalf of your business. I think that's the gift of working that hard. I think that arriving there and having your vision transformed into the world through other people's work, I honestly think it's magic. And if you can lean into the discomfort of learning, because I do believe anybody can learn how to manage and lead people. I really believe that. Does it come easily, more easily for others? Maybe. But can everyone learn the mechanics of it? Absolutely. So I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but I think it's all, it's such a great win to be that role and have that influence in someone else's life. So Chris, before we finish up our interview today, is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with, whether something that we've talked about previously or something we haven't had a chance to bring up yet? I think the only thing I would say in addition, just on the heels of what I've just said is, 
I gave up my first manager job. I really liked, but I quit because it was hard. And then I went back in and I started managing people again about two years later. But I watch other people. I watch entrepreneurs and I also watch intrapreneurs, right? Leaders within businesses. And they quit because it's hard. And I, I would just tell folks, don't give up on the dream because managing people's tough. It's learnable. And it really is a formula. And once you have your leading and managing formula, I really think you could tackle any circumstance in the business. So the dream, the reason that you hung the shingle out in the first place and made the commitment to do this work in the world, don't give up on that just because this part has you a little stumped. Because that's solvable. That's the easy part to me. If you've got a business that's making money and attracting clients, to me, that's the harder part. Now you've got a winning strategy. Let's build the team that helps you scale it and grow it and really realize that business, whatever it is that you've been dreaming about. Well, Chris, where can people go to learn more about you and the work that you do? I have a podcast called Lead Your Team, which you can find on pretty much any podcast platform. And I I give about 15-minute doses every week on practical tips for people who manage people and primarily for entrepreneurs. And then I'm also, you can find my website at chrisplackey.com. And right now I'm offering, if people want to really dig into their CEO role, you can go to myceojob.com and uh, I have a little quick video series on how to really create your dream CEO position, especially if you're an entrepreneur. All right, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Joshua. Once again, if you'd like to connect with Chris, you can go to her website at chrisplackey.com. That's P-L-A-C-H-Y. And you can find other ways to connect with her in the show notes below. Now, let's go ahead and get to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. We all have values and expectations. You need to know how to communicate them and develop them within your business because your values and common sense are not always the same as others. The second key takeaway is this. In a traditional business, job or role descriptions are common, but they don't always mean that much. In smaller businesses, people may be hired, but their role is not particularly clear. So be sure, especially if you're in a small business, that the person you're hiring has a place in that business long term, that they know your expectations for them, and that they can effectively live into those expectations. And the final key takeaway is simply this. Performance is not an opinion. It sounds obvious, but when you establish expectations from the very beginning, then you and your employee are able to look from the same vantage point at what's happened, and you can compare their performance, whether it's good or bad, to those particular expectations. It makes your job easier, and it makes it feel less personal. If you enjoyed what Chris had to share today, I know she'd love it if you followed up with her. And if you're looking for great leadership insight to get you into action in 2021, I encourage you to go to leadershipactionlist.com, download the free leadership action list, and get on the email list for weekly steps that you can take to improve your leadership. I look forward to sharing with you once again later this week. And until then, keep living and leading well. 
Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well. <laughs>